This episode of the Fryer Podcast is sponsored by Soggy Hot Dogs. Since 1869, Rhode Island's hot dog of choice has been the dog with that iconic snap. Soggy is gluten-free and MSG-free, made with all natural ingredients and only 170 calories. You can find Soggy's in your local Connecticut, Massachusetts, or Rhode Island grocery store, the Soggy Food Truck, or you can order Soggy's directly from Soggy's.com, shipping nationwide. If it doesn't have that snap, it's not Soggy. Hello and welcome Friar Town. Today is Friday the 13th and Kevin and I are back with Season Preview Episode 1. I am Billy Ritchie and this is the Friar Podcast. Hello everybody. Welcome back to a special edition of the Friar Podcast, Season Preview, Episode 1. I'm, of course, your host, Billy Ritchie, joined by the great Kevin Farhar of FriarBasketball.com and, of course, the Friar Podcast as well. And today, we're recording on about the month's eve of the 2023-2024 season. Kevin and I are excited. We were chopping it up, of course, before we, we jumped on. And... We just had late night madness. Saw some great dance moves out there. Apparently, Rafael Castro has the best dance moves on the team, but still to be determined. I think we have some honorable mentions like Jaden Pierre and Devin Carter. Uh, One Republic played. Didn't realize that they were still as popular as they are, but shout out One Republic. We have a new coach. We have a new system. And for the first time in a long time, about a decade, it really feels like uncharted waters, right? We're going into... A new season again with a new coach. And it's exciting. It's also a little nerve-wracking, especially with the Big East being as good as they're projected to be. We're very excited for this returning cast. We think the talent on the roster is awesome. And we have a great balance of experience and you know a couple guys who are stars who've decided to come back. But at the end of the day, this is all new for us. And it's all new for you. So we're excited to chop it up. And we're excited to have a conversation around what this 2023-2024 season could bring. Of course, I'd like to introduce my podcast mate, good friend, Kevin Farhar. Kevin, what is going on? How excited are you for the season? What's up, Billy? You know, it hadn't really sunk in for me that we're as close as we are. Like, I was like, oh my God, we're a month away. Um, I think just because so much has happened, it seems like this is the season that would never get here. Um, but it's crazy. We're a month away. We got Mal Brown in, what, like 10 days? Um, so yeah, really, really psyched, just like you and everybody else in prior town. The interesting thing going into the season, right? Mal Brown was just announced in terms of the exhibition games, right? We're not seeing any exhibition games on the calendar, probably some closed scrimmage and, you know, less, less publicly available film on the team going into the season. Kev, do you think that's like, Maybe on purpose. Like we don't, we don't usually see no exhibition games on the schedule in in at least the Cooley era, right? Hey, any era. I don't remember since the nineties. Um, they've always played two, uh, sometimes even three. Maybe I don't know. But yeah, this is a first. And part of me, I think Bill, we were talking a few weeks ago about well, maybe Kim doesn't want film out there. But then I'm like, is there really film out there of these exhibition games? Like maybe some clips from a TV station, but the full game's not out there. But um, that's the only reason I can think of. They had the two closed scrimmages. Um, but remember, Kim was talking to us during our podcast this summer, and he was part of the reason why he didn't want to put anything out there in Spain. You know, he mentioned like the stream could be glitchy, but also, you know, he's like, I want people to have no idea what we look like on on November sixth. Um, which I, I that might be part of it. I have no idea, but this is definitely a first as far as I can remember. So. We essentially have Mal Brown. And I mean, to be honest, it's fun to go to the exhibition. It gives us something to write about and talk about. But you don't learn a ton when they're playing a completely overmatched, you know, D3 team or a team of all-stars or whatever. So I don't think we're we're losing out on learning a lot about the team. Um, but it's always fun to go to the AMP a couple of times a year before the season starts. So that part's kind of a bummer. But it is what it is. It's always fun to go to a game where there's like, 2,000, 4,000 fans. Yeah. And you just kind of take it all in, right? It's it's the diehards who are showing up 
leaving work early to go to an exhibition game at like four o'clock against American International College, right? That's what makes Friartown so special. I just think you're a hundred percent right in the sense of we saw Rafael Castro in some exhibition games look like Will Chamberlain, right? It, it, it was insane. Like he was he was running the break and you know he had some great performances out there and it's just hard to quantify once you get to big east play right when the level of competition is just infinitely better right so it's really just hard to put it all together from a scouting perspective filming perspective when you're looking at an exhibition game but hey less film out there maybe the better right and i'm glad they brought maul brown back i mean there was a stretch early in cooley's tenure where they they did, did away with it remember they had the year where ricky lito was here and he played it was in alumni and then I think after that, it went away for like maybe five years or so, and they just brought it back. So um, I was that that was a bummer when that went away. I, I feel like I learned more from all Brown than I do the exhibition games. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited that's back. So that'll be something to look forward to. We got a lot to look forward to, Kev. And for the listeners out there, Kev has been working. I, he's always working. I always <laughs> call him one of the hardest working men, if not the, in Providence basketball coverage. And with that being said, in terms of film and, and being able to kind of digest things before the season starts, he has done tons of research on these Mason guys, right? Tons, watched tons and tons of film and games on specifically the three guys who are probably going to play the most, whether it be Josh Roduro, Ticket Gaines, Justin Fernandez, right? Looking at these guys and giving you the sort of insights that you would want to have going into the season with essentially – you got these Mason guys forming together with the Providence guys in this new system. Kev, what can you tell us first about Josh Oduro and what should we what should we be excited for going into the season? Yeah, so Bill, just taking a step back, I think really what I wanted to do was I feel like we've heard certain things from Kim since he came aboard, and it's become gospel. Like, oh, he plays, you know, one in, four out. He likes to go small. All these things that have people just assume now is like the only way he plays. So I was like, all right, let me see what it looks like. We heard people talk about, you know, ticket gains was hurt and how did that impact them? Like I wanted to see it myself. So I went back, I watched games, even going back to his first season because they played Kansas, the Kansas team that PC played in the sweet 16. Mason played him really tough at Kansas. Basically it was like a two possession game with like three minutes to go. Uh, they beat Maryland that year. Uh, they beat Georgia who wasn't great, but I watched those games and then, Went back and watched, I think I'm, I have like a, I'm at part three, I think of our series. I've watched 15 games or so for Mason last year. So really long-winded intro there, Bill, but to talk about Oduro, um, kind of as advertised, you know, I, I think with him last year, he was productive early, but um, he had a good amount of injuries he was dealing with in the, um, in the summer. And one thing that one of the coaches had told me was that he was still working some of the rust off, even going into like, you know, December, January, because you really saw his game take off in late January. Uh, you know, the stats are better. I mean, he still had good stats early in the year, but the stats really took off. But, you know, he started developing this fadeaway jumper. His passing out of the post was great. You know, earlier in the year, he was turning the ball over a decent amount when teams were throwing double teams at him. And he just seemed to have a better like sense and feel for those things. Um, so, you know, Josh is kind of as advertised as far as a post score. Um, but I think the one thing that's really underrated is his passing ability. He's a really, really, really good passer. Um, and that's going to be interesting. You know, Bill, I just wrote an article um, that we really haven't seen a guy. Daryl had 80 assists, 86 assists last year. We hadn't seen a guy have that many assists since Jeff McDermott was here, as far as a big guy, a power forward or a center. So, um really haven't had that kind of playmaking big guy in a while. And he just gets guys good looks. Um, I think probably the biggest concerns as far as what we have ahead for Josh, not necessarily concerned, but um, looking to see what develops for him is, you know, he took some jumpers last year. His jumper wasn't really fine tuned. So we'll see if his jump shots looking better than it did last year. And then in a lot of games last year, he was getting in foul trouble. Um, and without Will McNair now, and they're a little bit thinner up front, um, yeah, that's a concern of mine. He was in foul trouble a good amount last year, but he's just really, really skilled. Uh, Bill, we saw him in practice. He had a voice. He had a presence there. So um, he's going to be really solid. I think everyone kind of knows that, but I think 
the biggest takeaway for me is just the passing ability. I think he's going to really help the offense with how late passes. Well, on the podcast, which you were great to step in while I was on my honeymoon. Thank you for holding it down solo. I love how he just, he wants to be a pro. He wants to handle everything like a pro, right? That was the exact word he used, right? He wants to go in to each game, you know, be a part of the game plan, not necessarily go, you know, not, not, not get his stats, just be a part of Kim's system, which he knows. And, you know, he knows he's surrounded by talented players, but he knows he's talented as well. Like he didn't, there was no bit of ego in Josh Oduro when he was talking, it was just all business. And I, and I love that. I loved his tone. I loved his professionalism. I love the way he kind of looked at his teammates. Like we were talking about after he recorded the episode, like, going into detail about all of his teammates that he had, you know, on the AAU circuit, high school that were super talented. He obviously comes from a great basketball background, right? He just seems like that type of guy who is just going to get it done, right? He's going to have production. He obviously had a lot of production at Mason, you know, so last season he was about 15 and eight season before he was about 18 and seven and a half. So he's definitely going to have production. We're not worried about that. Also think it's interesting that he kind of wants to take a step out and hit more threes and be a little bit more dynamic, right? What does that look like with a lot of guys already on the perimeter? I'm curious about that just from a, you know, a, a basketball perspective, but yeah, when I think of Josh Oduro now, I think a pro, I think of a pro mindset of just come in all business, do what you got to do to win, but you know, he's going to put up numbers because he's extremely talented. And I think he'll fit in nicely as far as playing a role here. You know, Bill, we've talked about this before. We talked about it with Josh in the podcast. You know, in high school, he was playing with Team Takeover, which has, like, ridiculous talent. You know, he came off the bench there. He played in a high school team, which had tons of Division One players. I think his whole career, he wasn't a guy who was kind of, like, force-fed the ball. He kind of, like, developed into the main scorer at, at Mason. But, um, you know, he's played with great players before, which is going to really help him as far as playing with – guys like Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins. Absolutely. Let's let's mix it up and let's go Justin Fernandez next. All right. So so I think Justin Fernandez is so intriguing because he really was touted coming out of high school, right? And as we've talked about, just kind of shows the recruiting ability of Kim to get a guy like Justin Fernandez to stay home and to stay, you know, more of a mid-major type school than go to a Clemson or a Florida or PC or Tennessee that he was recruited by. Right. So at the end of the day, I think Justin Fernandez's ceiling is very high. And, and as I described him to you, I think the fans should sort of look at him as, you know, a good change of pace guard, good speed, ability to hit the three and a great clip. And, you know, a guy who played at Did he play at IMG Academy? He did. And there was all sorts of really Really, really high level talent that team. Um, yeah, so Bill, I think with with Justin, um, you know, the big question for people are it's like, well, he was a top 100 player, but he averaged whatever he averaged, five, six points a game. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to know with with this Mason team last year, it's not like I think people look at a, a mid-major and they weren't a tournament team from a mid-major and they think there's not a lot of talent there, but um, he had someone starting in front of him in Victor Bailey Jr., who's a really good player. He had he averaged like 11 a game last year, almost 12, but he was at Oregon, then was at Tennessee. Um, and he started at Tennessee. He was like a double-digit scorer at Tennessee. And last year at Mason shot 47% for three until he got hurt late in the year. He was a huge part of what they were doing. Um, so essentially what happened with, with Justin was a couple things. He was kind of playing behind Victor Bailey Jr., they had ticket gains, two in the wing, so they had experience there. They had a guy, uh, Devon Cooper, who's really good. So they were, they had his good players at his position. And then with Justin, you just had to learn kind of defensive concepts. And then around probably January, mid-January, he really started to earn more minutes and get some starts. But from the beginning of the year, he came in aggressive. Like a lot of freshmen, and not in the, you know, uh, ball hog way, but like if the shot was there, he put it up. And for a guy who wasn't getting a ton of minutes, he shot with a lot of confidence. He kind of took the ball to the rim with a lot of confidence. And then by January, um, he was kind of force-fed minutes because ticket gains was out from late December to early February, about a five-week span. And then um, Victor Bailey, we mentioned, he broke his hand and he was out the last month of the year. 
But, um, you know, Justin, I just posted some clips. He had a game against George Washington that um, Josh Adoro mentioned on our podcast where he hit like four threes in the last seven minutes of the game and totally turned it around. And um, he's a better shooter than I thought. Um, and he's pretty good with the ball in his hands. He can kind of conduct the pick and roll a little bit. And he's a great athlete. Of course, he's, you know, got the the knee injury right now. Um, I think the big question people are going to ask is like, you know, is there any update on Fernandez? I don't think we're going to get one, right? I don't think um, if they're hopefully coming back, I don't think there's any upside in essentially setting a date or feeling like it could be coming back soon because that leads to undue pressure. Um, I hope he comes back because from what I saw, regardless of what his stats were last year, is a guy who can help. I mean, he's all of 6'5". Uh, I assume he'll get his athleticism back just with the na- nature of these surgeries now and rehab and how it goes. Um, there'll be obviously a level of rust this year, but he could help. He can shoot. Um, and he's basically here now, you know, he, he uses one transfer. So he's probably looking at being Providence for three years. Good piece. Absolutely. If, is there a fryer that you could compare him to game wise? I kind of have an idea in my head, but I want to run it. I want to see what you're going to say first. Yeah. He's, I mean, I'm trying to think. So he, he's a legit six, five and he's like a, He's a freakish athlete. Like we didn't really see it last year. If you want go back and watch his games, just because he's kind of more of a spot up shooter who'd take it to the hole occasionally. Um, I don't know. Who, who are you thinking? It's just, it's just tough to say because of his size. I feel like he's like a bigger, a, a bigger version of like a Malik White almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's similar. Um, I don't know if we've had anyone like he's not. The only thing I could think was like Wamey Fajuku, but I feel like Wamey was kind of a different style of player. Like Wamey is more like a, a acrobat, whereas I feel like Fernandez is actually like a really like a chance to be like a really like powerful shooting guard who can stretch mm-hmm. the floor. I don't know if we've had anyone in the last you know fifteen years or so who's that similar. He's he's definitely unique, and it's been great to to go back watch some film from him from George Mason and see that it clearly is going to translate to Biggie's basketball. So. Let's let's move on to ticket gains. I'll start here on ticket in the sense of guys committed to Tennessee, got minutes as a freshman in SEC basketball. And it's like I look at his career overall, and, and, and could this be kind of that coming out season for ticket gains that just it all comes together, right? It seemed like it was coming together in his junior year when he averaged double figures, 40% shooting from three. 45 and a half field goal percentage. Like guy has some, he has some game in him, obviously has some size. Kev, we saw him in practice. We're intrigued by what role ticket gains can play. Yeah. I thought, I mean, Bill, I don't know what you thought. And maybe we just caught him on a really good day, but I thought he was awesome. The, the practice we saw this summer, he looked, he was one of the best guys out there. Um, I think with ticket, you know, he's just to set expectations. Um, He's a really low maintenance offensive player. Um, people saw the numbers in Spain where he took a ton of threes, but he loved games where he's like two for four, three for five. So it's not like he's a guy who's out there hunting. Um, his numbers dipped a little bit last year. I can talk a bit about that, Bill. Um, I think he was like 10 and eight. It wasn't just the 10 points, but eight rebounds and 40% three-point shooting. If you got anywhere near that this year, you'd be thrilled. I think last year he was down to like nine and six. And I think he shot like below 40% from the field and like maybe 35-ish percent off the top of my head from three. Um, the biggest difference for him, um, which I'm hoping he goes back to this year, was two years ago, he like 51% of his shots were from three, whereas last year, 77% of his shots were from three. So basically, like his entire offense was beyond the arc last year. Um, but he's a good shooter. I mean, I don't think he's like a – you know, complete knockdown. Like I t- I mentioned Victor Bailey Jr.'s teammate. Like that's an outstanding shooter. Tickets the kind of guy that there will be games where he hits like two or three really big threes. Uh, and you really can't leave him open. He's really good from the corners. Um, but when I, I think of him, I think really low maintenance offensive player. Um, you know, he defends, he rebounds. I think there'll be a lot of people, Bill, who compare him to Manaya, Justin Manaya. And they're similar in the way that I thought of Justin the same way, kind of like, low maintenance player can rebound a bit, can defend a bit. Um, but I think I was excited when Manaya came here uh, because I felt like 
you know, tickets like six, seven, one ninety. Mania is probably like two fifteen. And I watch Mania guard all those like crazy athletic power forwards in the SEC. Um, you know, the coaches will say like tickets super tough. He can guard centers and power forwards. He, he even had the tweet up there after Will McNair left, like, oh, I can guard centers. I've done it before. But I think ideally, um, I love to see him guarding more in the wing and then some force. But I think where he's different than Manaya is just physically, I think Justin could probably hold up a little bit better against some bigger guys. Um, not taking away from Ticket's toughness, because from what I see, he's a tough player. But that's a pretty big physical difference, 215 to 190 pounds. i got to give the A-10 some credit here. I used to be... As, as people in my circles would know, I used to be very skeptical when we would get an A-10 transfer, right? It's like, oh, we should be pulling from the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, right? There is some talent, clearly, like we have that's been brought over from George Mason where, you know, Josh Oduro was on NBA draft boards. Ticket Gaines was playing at Tennessee. Justin Fernandez was top 75 recruit. You can't always look at the league as a whole when you're evaluating talent coming over to your team right and and i feel like kevin you're probably better than i in this but i you know, sometimes when i saw a 10 you know when Ed croswell first committed i was like oh you know what's, what's he what's he realistically going to provide right you know being you know having okay numbers in the a10 but you know what's what's he going to be here right what's he going to be in the big east and i feel like sometimes we have to take a step back and realize that some of these guys have had different recruiting journeys that have led them to different schools and could be a great fit for big east basketball yeah, I mean, Tyler Burton, going from Richmond to Villanova this year, the reigning Big East player of the year, Tyler Kolick. He's a former A-10 player, so obviously we've seen guys who can do it. Um, and I think it's just – it's it's easier to look at like, hey, this is a Kentucky transfer versus a George Mason transfer. Uh, or not even – I shouldn't say Kentucky, but, you know, going from one high major to a next, there's that, like, comfort level as a fan. Like, all right, these guys were recruited by whoever, Rick Barnes. So they must be better. Um, and a lot of times that's the case, but we've seen plenty of guys go from the A-10 who are certainly capable of playing at PC and in the Big East. Absolutely. So let's switch over to the recruits. Let's go from the current players on the roster to the future Friars that we'll be watching at the end. Let's talk about Daquan Davis first, right? Interesting prospect. Ranked in the top 100 nationally. Overtime elite. Uh, team takeover. We talked about Josh Oduro being a, a team takeover alum, playing with some great players. A little, you know, when people look at Daquan Davis, right, they might obviously look at his size, you know, being 6'1". Um, but a lot of game and a lot of change of pace and shot-making ability out of Daquan. What do, what do we think about Daquan and, and your coverage so far and your research, you know, into into what this Friar-to-be is going to look like someday, Kev? Yeah, I watched him a lot this summer. Um he can be really explosive. Um, he's not big. He's, you know, looks six feet, six one and not, you know, he's kind of lean. Um, but he can really, he goes in these scoring binges. I think there was a game that they played in Vegas um, that was on ESPN that got PC fans all excited because he was just ripping threes early on. And to be, to be fair, I bet I watched him five or six times this summer and that was like by far the best he played. But, um, you know, he's, He's played pretty big in big moments. Um, he was the essentially the MVP in the, you know, in what could be argued is the best tournament high school conference in the um, conference tournament in the country last year. Excuse me, uh, where his team won um, against, you know, one of the top five teams in the country. He was the best player probably on the floor that day. Um, so I think where what makes him so exciting is that, you know, Providence and recent years i don't think they really have haven't had many guys who like the offense is breaking down there's five seconds in the shot clock someone's just got to make a play you know uh, i know kyron cartwright did it like late in his career but this is a guy who can just like find you a buck out of nothing um so he went from team takeover to team thrill this summer and he played with Derek queen who was a five-star recruit tyler jackson was a five-star recruit really good talent there um goes and big scoring binges plays really hard on offense and defense. Um, I feel like he plays big in big moments, bigger games. Definitely the Baltimore connection between Kim and Daquan would love some Kyron Cartwright in, in Daquan Davis to come. If, if that, if that's so be right. 
Um, but yeah, I think you 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 hit it on the head. Creating buckets out of nothing, explosiveness, ability to shoot, get to the rim. Really excited for his potential as we as as we as we look towards the future in this next recruiting class. And Bill, I think he seems really charismatic too. I'm not sure if you can pick up on it when you watch him in social or anything you've seen, but he seems like kind of a charismatic, like big personality guy too, which would be kind of fun. Yeah, I I, th- I remember watching a clip in which. Uh, yeah, he had some pretty interesting answers and seemed dynamic. So totally, totally agree. And we, 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 you know, we love we love that out of point guards. We love point guards who talk and kind of are able to you know command the floor. So, in terms of the other recruit, a little bit more local from Natick, Massachusetts. Kev, I know you've watched Ryan a little bit. You've talked with his coach before. Just curious, your thoughts. You know we're used to in the cool era, you know, positionless sort of three fours and the ability to score and, and you know, and, 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 and get outside from, you know, from the big guys. What do we think about Ryan Mila? What do we think about his potential in a Friar uniform? Yeah. I think what excites me about Mila is that, you know, this staff, a lot of fans were kind of worried, like, well, he's only gotten offers from mid majors, but I like the the staff. You know, they're a new staff. They identified the guy, the, a guy they liked, and went like all in. Like I remember, I saw him. Um, he was actually awesome against Team Thrill and Daquan Davis. They beat them to win the Under Armour circuit. I think in the semis um, this summer. And like I said, you know that that Team Thrill team had two five star players, Daquan Davis, a couple other really another four star point guard. They were loaded. Um, and he had close to 17 points in the second half and he's local, but I didn't know anything about him. And I followed the step pretty closely. I was like, who the hell is this guy? Um, he was great. So I saw him another time that summer and he was just as good. Um, kind of different than you think. I think people see like a six, six white small forward and think he's like a knockdown shooter. Um, I think he's a guy who the staff thinks will develop into a shooter. But right now he's more of like a slasher, makes like crazy finishes, um, gets to the rim a lot, gets the free throw line a lot. So um, he's a guy too, you know, I've heard people question level of competition. He plays for the Middlesex Magic. They've produced a lot of really underrated guys the last couple of years, Pat Connaughton, Tyler Kolek, Duncan Robinson, the list kind of goes on. And they're on the Under Armour circuit. So he's playing against four and five star guys a lot. Um, and then in the prep season, he played for um, the Newman school last year. So they're new to Nepsack's highest level. Like they're playing with South Kent and Brewster and you know, whoever else, St. Thomas Moore, these great teams. So if you know much about, um, you know, the prep ranks around here, you know, those are as good as it gets. So both between last year's high school season, and the summer, he's playing really good competition and producing really well. Um, so, I think the biggest thing for him will just be how the jumper develops. Um, I think he's a good enough athlete. I think he looks really skilled. Um, and I like that the staff kind of had the conviction to be like, all right, we're new, but like, we don't, we're not worried about rankings or anything else. We found a guy we like. And um, I think I, if I hadn't seen him play um, in one of the tournaments, they saw that they really liked him at. Um, I, I could see where fans would be concerned about like, well, look at his other offers, but Having seen him, I was like, right away. I was like, who is it? Like, when you watch these events, there's some guys. There's always like one or two guys you just are looking up when it's going on. Like, I was watching to watch Jaquan, and then all of a sudden, this kid was playing out of his mind, and I was like, how have I never heard of this guy? He was great. It's not all about rankings, folks. Folks, Bryce Cotton was a walk-on. Marshawn Brooks was a forty. It's really not all about rankings, right? And it's kind of crazy how he he really. Ryan Mila, he's been offered by pretty much all the New England schools in some way, shape, or form. It's just, you know, we came in late, and typically recruits sometimes can go with those earlier offers for loyalty, but, you know, obviously we come in and our brand and our, you know, in the Big East basketball, and we're able to, you know, we're able to take him out of the running. And I think there is a clear need for, again, that sort of tweener role of those three fours who have size or ability to score. Um, you know, and, 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 and just kind of create. So, yeah, very excited for Ryan, and excited for this class to continue to to take shape as 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 we you know we we look towards the twenty three twenty four season. So, in terms of the season, Kev, I can go first in terms of what we're excited about, and maybe some slight concerns we have. 
going into this new season, right? So first, what we're excited about. What I'm mostly excited about is a new energy in Friartown based all around the offense, right? We've seen, as I've said on these podcasts before, we've seen a lot of defensive battles in the past. We've seen a lot of games that have, you know, been the 50s, high 50s, low 60s, you know, those grinded out type performances. I am really excited to see an offense that is, you know, more in tune with the pro game and you know, four in and one out of playing, you know, playing playing three point and, and, and high pace type basketball. I'm excited for what type of energy that could bring to the amp. I feel like if the amp is bringing it on, you know, a, a 55 to 52 game, I can only imagine what they're going to bring on a consistent, you know, 93 to 89 basis. So very excited for that. But of course, that's a big difference from what we've seen in the past decade with Ed Cooley, right? We are used to those defensive grinded out performances and that sort of system and that sort of mindset around the X's and O's. It's very interesting now that we're going a completely different direction, right? And I know that Kim English is working around the clock. We see him up on Instagram. If you follow his post up early every day, seems like he's truly connecting with the guys playing ping pong against Bryce Hopkins, you know, taking the guys out to dinner, having different events with season ticket holders and different, you know, different key members of the community that bring the energy. I feel like Kim is doing truly everything right, right? From the community to the basketball, to the practice we were at with the energy of practice, to letting his assistance coach. He's got a great head assistant, head assistant, Dennis Felton. Just crazy to think about the level of, of Big East he's going to go up against in his first season. And that is truly what I'm most anxious about is just we're really looking at a stacked conference, sort of like the old Big East with the resurgence of St. John's, potentially Georgetown, Xavier, Creighton, Marquette, Villanova. So my answer is – eh, Forget UConn. Who, who, <laughs> we, 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 don't, we don't need them, right? They only won a national championship. <laughs> so to conclude on my side of things before I kick it back to Kev, it's pretty simple. I'm really excited to see what this four-out, one-in style could provide us from an excitement standpoint, from a pro-style offense, and just a new change of pace. But, of course, I'm also a little worried that we're taking this huge leap to the other side of things and kind of how that translates for all the guys. Yeah, I mean, Bill, for me, I think what I'm – so where are we starting? What, What we're most excited about? Yeah, what we're most excited about, and then, you know, what we're a little anxious about going into the season. Yeah, I mean, I'm most excited with the point guard play. Um, you know, it was, we're basically handing this thing over to two really young point guards. Um, the last time PC did that didn't go too well. Remember, we had the year where David Duke was a freshman. We had Makai here as a sophomore. And Malik White, I think, wanted to get some point guard minutes as well. And um, I remember Ed Cooley basically at the Big East tournament the second that tournament was over, being like, we're going to be different at point guard next year. I guarantee it. Uh, and that's when I think they brought in Pipkin the next year. Um, but, you know, it's been a while. And Bill, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. So before that was Cartwright. So, you know, Cartwright kind of t- came in, took over for Chris Dunn. And before him was Cotton. So we really haven't, other than the Duke, Mackay, Malik White year, they really haven't handed the keys over to a young guy in a decade, basically. Um, and I kind of like that they didn't feel the need to bring in, you know, a steady hand to kind of cover for these guys. They're going for it with Jaden and, and Garway. And obviously Garway, we're going to talk so much about, we're going to write so much about, there's so much there. Um, he's probably the most intriguing player uh, on the roster just because we don't know. We've gotten a sense. We saw it in practice. We've seen him in games in high school, but we don't really know what it's going to look like until the season starts. Uh, but for me, it's Jaden Pierre. Um, I loved him in high school. I remember telling my now late buddy, Craig Layton, calling him. I used to call Craig on, um, I'd go for walks around my neighborhood and just, we'd talk PC hoops for an hour. And I remember I watched Jaden probably a handful of times, mostly on streams. And I was like, this is the most excited I've been for a PC recruiting forever. And um, what I loved about Jaden was, and I think which makes him perfect for this team is he just, used to let the game come to him. He wouldn't take a shot for like the first quarter and then going to halftime, he'd bury like four huge shots in a row. 
Um, I just think he's got a real like natural point guard feel for the game. And I think he's going to get really good looks playing with Devin and Bryce and Josh and Corey Floyd. I think he's going to, he's a really good table center, but I think he's going to get a ton of good shots too. Um, so I'm excited about it, but I'm also, I guess that's blended with intrigued. You know, I think that's the most intriguing part of this team is to me how good Jaden Pierre and Gary Duall are really is going to set the ceiling for where this team can go. Uh, and I think they can both be really good. I think it's just going to be a matter of um, are they really good from the start of the year? Because uh, they need them to be. But I'm really high on Jaden. I think that's my most, the one thing I'm most excited about. And then for folks who have been reading me um, the last month, obviously, I think um, the Big East just has really good big guys. Um, you know, I don't, Will McNair's loss, you know, three points and three rebounds a game last year, but 6'11", 265, or whatever he was, in a fifth-year senior. Um, so we really needed another big body, I thought, behind Josh. You look at Kalk Brenner at Creighton, uh, Klingon at UConn, Eric Dixon, Joel Soriano. The Big East is loaded with big guys. Like I, I was thinking back, like, like Bill, you know, we got away with, like, hitting bats one year. They, we had made the NIT or with Bentel. But I think the Big East wasn't quite as big. And then we saw what happened in the tournament. Like they played Carolina that year with Bentel, and the second he fouled out, they were screwed. Um, so, gonna need something from Castro, um, and then probably get creative in certain games where if Josh gets in foul trouble. So, that's my biggest concern. Uh, just what that looks like when we get to the Big East against those really physical big guys. Uh, without Will being here, um, you know, it, it just has a bit of a trickle down effect the rest of the roster. Like you said, with the point guards, Nate Watson and Ed Croswell have had a hold at that sort of center position for a while as well. And we're getting a new sort of look with Josh, right? He's a little bit more dynamic and and he's more interested as John Fanta reported. It's like, he's more interested to make some threes this year and kind of space out and show that his game can be extended, you know, beyond the elbow. Right. So I think with Josh, I think he's just so intriguing in the sense of like, he, he has, some great footwork. He has some great foundational ability to score the basketball. But what does that role look like playing a five in which, like you mentioned, we don't have a lot of size to back that up. Rafael Castro has been waiting in the wings for a while. We'd be absolutely excited for him to kind of take that next step forward, but is the five the right position for him or is it more of a four, right? And then the next piece of it for me is Devin Carter, since I always feel like DC is kind of flying under the radar. Like, yeah. he obviously had the inner injury, um, you know, this offseason. But he just kind of he just kind of slightly flies under the radar. And I like that. And I want him to prove those haters wrong, right? Like, he should be that first team, all Big East defensive guy. He has that natural explosion in his game that you can't teach, right? He has the ability to knock down a three, which I'm really excited to see him play in Kim's system with him out on the perimeter and i think that'll benefit him as well i'm just excited for devin as we've talked about kevin and i with the year under his belt in big east play to really take hold of of some big east level honors and with him too uh, last year for all that jared bynum or noah lock brought offensively um devin was their by far their best defensive guard and now you play Corey Floyd more, at least physically, you think he should hold up more. Garway, we saw do crazy things defensively and, and Jaden. And I've been beating this drum, but I feel like, you know, Devin can really shut down. You know, he can really take away a lot of what you want to do, kind of like Manaya did a few years ago for that team that made this week 16. Um, and now if you get other guys, you can defend just as well. Um, and at that size, like if you play Garway and Devin in the backcourt, to me, that's, ridiculous like they they could roll out you know garway at six five devin who plays like he's six eight uh ticket gains at six seven who can really defend with hopkins and aduro um and that's a massive lineup that's a lot of versatility so there's a lot of good options there let's talk about our practice impressions and you hit it on the head with garway we've chatted about this the fans have to know when we went to practice and we saw garway play is a lot of the guys are now it's starting to come out more and more that Garway is, is is as advertised right that he's ahead of his time as he's no freshman in terms of his feel for the game and his athletic ability and his length right 
but really just watching him in practice where he was able to get a steal, you know, use his length to, to create problems on defense. And then he, he, he's a five dribble guy from, from half court. Like he, he can, he can take off. Right. I think out of practice, like the main things that I noticed were Garway is just, he's special, right? He's, he's one of those, he, he has those intangibles that just, you can't teach, right? And 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 really, the other thing that I noticed, like we've talked about, Kev, is just Josh Oduro being vocal, right? Being a leader in practice and 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 really trying to complete like a big three almost with Devin and and Bryce, and he's kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Kim mentioned that as well, and he like and 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 that and that's great, I and mean, he could prove some people wrong. But I think from our standpoint, we know that Josh is kind of fit in as that third piece. Bryce Hopkins mentioned it as well. That can really kind of complete the the big three yeah i mean garway in that practice he just made some plays that were yeah you were you watched you kind of wish you were watching on tv so you could rewind it but did i just did i see that right like going over him just like you know picking guys 90 feet from the basket and leaping up and picking off passes and just drawing like there is and, and kim mentioned it recently i forget where maybe it was with fanta or someone else uh, just his innate ability to draw defenders and dish it off like the perfect time and have these kind of crazy angles. When I watched him last year in high school, I was like, it almost looked so easy for him that I was like, is this going to work in college? Because he's basically, he never took a jumper. Like he, I think because he didn't have to, he he just didn't take jump shots. He'd just get in the paint like whenever he wanted to and just make these crazy passes or he can really hit floaters pretty well. Um, you know, I think for him, he's such a quiet kid that it'll be about asserting himself. And that's why, you know, Jaden probably has the inside track, the experience in the program and probably more of a vocal guy at the point guard spot um, throughout the year. But I mean, his, and, and, and you hesitate to like hype Garway even more than is, is happening now. But I feel like at this point, the cat's out of the bag. People are already like talking about him as a lottery pick. So anything we say in this podcast, isn't going to, you know, blow expectations even bigger than they are. But um, yeah, so much talent there. Um, Bill, another guy I liked in practice was uh, Rich Barron. I thought he was like super physical and shot the ball pretty well and handled it. He didn't look out of place at all, I didn't think. No, I think Rich Barron is, is certainly ahead of his ahead of his class here as well from a physical standpoint. He's a very physical, very physical type player and has a great build for a freshman, I would say. So um, no, he he definitely seems like he can he can shoot it and he's he, he's strong and he can rebound for a guard and yeah definitely saw what Kim English saw in recruiting him and kind of bringing him over to PC but I just want to bring with Garway you know what the most confusing thing about Garway is is the recruiting right it's like we were in on Garway pretty early um, and we really were just able to kind of assert ourselves as, as the best offer for him. And, and maybe that's the reason he stayed. I'm really curious, you know, why he was, you know, almost not recruited by some of the bigger brands as well, being a top 50 recruit. Yeah, it was a weird – so, Bill, you're talking about his initial recruitment or his re-recruitment? Yeah, 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 his, his initial recruitment. Well, that was weird. So he moved to Indiana, and it was a bizarre thing where his head coach – and he was on a really good high school – um like one of the top teams in indiana but they basically brought him off the bench for a while he started the one game i saw but like he barely got to shoot it was a it was really weird how they were using him uh so i think that's how he went so under the radar he, he moved from houston to indiana so maybe there was some sort of like au you know program changing there too and then his his au team wasn't it's not a, a sneaker sponsored team so it's not like they were going to all those events and so i think that spring he just totally cut everyone's eye but and then this past, what, March, you know, it, it was when he decommitted, and Bill, we just talked about this offline, but when he decommitted after Cooley left, uh, there was no way in the world I ever thought he was ending up back here. Um, you know, among the teams that went in hard for him were Georgetown with the staff that kind of discovered him and had him committed here in the first place. And then Patino. We've seen that Rick Patino has completely cleaned up since he went to St. John's. And the fact that Kim English got him away from those two schools is still, I think being taken for granted a little bit, like for a coach who hadn't coached a big East game yet to get Garway to come here. Um, it's pretty incredible. 
Absolutely. It's incredible. And to close, I just want to talk a little bit more about Kim um, and, 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 and just, you know, late night madness. I feel like the energy was, was still there. It was, it, it looked awesome. We weren't actually in attendance, but it looked amazing. Um, and just like his ability to kind of just connect with the players and the staff and the alumni, he's just been really incredible. Like his energy when we sat down with him was so real and so authentic. I, I just think they're, sometimes we forget the human element to write to sports into this business that is college basketball. And just like his, his aura and like who he is, is just really special. And, and I think we're both pretty confident he's going to take this team to where it should be. It's just crazy to think about, you know, just him stepping into this after, you know, Ed being there so long, great big East, you know, trying to put this roster together. It's almost like unfair to have any expectations, but it's kind of hard not to, because he's just that type of guy, right? He just, you, you, you could tell that he just expects greatness. Well, Bill, that that's the irony. So Cooley's Cooley left to go to Georgetown, a supposed better job. And the narrative around Cooley is like, well, Georgetown was so down, he gets two or three years to build it out. Whereas with Kim, it's like, boy, he's got this really good roster right now. It's an important year for him to kind of prove it, which, you know, Cooley's the one that's been the Big East for 10, for 10 years. It's kind of interesting that, uh, and especially, like, I don't fully buy, like, yeah, Georgetown's been down, but you can flip teams in a year nowadays, and a lot of coaches have. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I think what I say about Kim is, and again, I not act like I know, we we talked to him that we had that sit down and talk to him for a bit afterwards. I don't know him well at all, but I really liked him when I met him. He just seems like a really down-to-earth guy. And what I always say is I'm like, I have no idea if he can coach in the Big East or at this level, but I really hope he can because I think his upside is great. And I think he is – he just strikes the right chord as far as, like you said, interacting with the players. And um, he's just more of like a um, – he's kind of like low-key but this like subtle, quiet confidence, which um, I think will play well. I think he does have to have a big year this year. I think for a lot of recruits that they're going after now, um, they're probably waiting C mode a little bit to see what it looks like with him here um, at PC. Cause essentially, you know, he's coached two, two years as a head coach, you know? Um, so I think for a lot of recruits, if they can have a big year this year and play an exciting brand of basketball, um, it could really take off. So as unfair as it may be, this first year is huge for him. Um, I think you got to really produce at least a tournament team. when you've got Hopkins and Carter coming back and a pretty good core around them. But um yeah, I, I'm really excited to see how he grows. Uh, and I really hope he does well. Like I said, there's just something that's really likable about him. When you meet him, and I talked to a lot of people who have met him on campus, who just genuinely really liked interacting with him. You know, there's not – he's not much of a salesman. He's just more of a, kind of like a down-to-earth, like, understated guy. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about it. We'll see how it turns out. January 27th against Georgetown. I believe the cheapest ticket out there is like four hundred and seventy seven bucks. It was yeah, four sixty nine last I looked. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I just don't have any words for that. That's insane. It's it's totally insane. I yeah. I it's gonna be I don't even know what to expect. I honestly can't even when Cooley was still here and people were talking about him going to Georgetown, I was like, I just can't imagine him coming back here as a coach of someone else. So that on that alone, I, I just could, literally couldn't imagine it. You know, it's be kind of a figure of speech, but I could not imagine it. Like, it, and I, I still can't. I don't know about you, Bill. I'm like, I, it's gonna be like bizarre world. I don't even know what it's gonna be like. It's gonna well, be I an out of body experience. Like, I'm gonna feel. It's gonna be an out of body experience for sure. Um, just crazy to, you know, he's going through the ticket prices and you just see. Oh, it's, right now, it's at a modest four hundred and forty-seven dollars per ticket. So. Um, they're, good. they're coming down a little bit. Yeah, we're coming down a little bit, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it's just, it's just, it's going to be a game for the ages. Having, um, you know, just, just having that sort of energy in one building is kind of hard to quantify, and and I'm really excited for the season. But obviously, there's a couple games on the calendar. Like, yeah, you know, we love when you arise at home, Georgetown, Marquette, St. John's. You know, the Wisconsin return of, will be good. 
Wisconsin, UConn. I keep ignoring UConn, and I kind of like it. Um, we're really excited for the season. We just wanted the, to jump on today and, and kind of get you guys just as excited as we are. We're a month away from the season. we got a great returning cast. We'll be back on again, chat through some specifics as we get closer, um, especially as we watch the Mal Brown scrimmage and we get some, some you know, some, some, some practice or, or, or game-esque, you know, environment to talk about. But, yeah, I mean – as always, we very much appreciate all the support that you guys give us. I just want to plug Kev again. He's been doing so much work on all of these different articles. You won't find any better or more content out there than what Kev's providing. And you know, you you guys, if if if, if you're supporting us, you should definitely think about subscribing to the newsletter um, at FriarBasketball.substack.com, um, as well as you know, obviously subscribing and liking and following the podcast. So. We appreciate the love as always. We get it at the games. We get it wherever we go. And it's, as we know, there's no place like Friartown and, and we never take that for granted. We'd like to thank everybody for listening to season preview episode one of the Friar podcast. And of course, a special thank you to our co-host, the great Kevin Farhar. If you enjoy our content, make sure to like and subscribe to both the Friar podcast and friarbasketball.substack.com. We'll be back as the season comes upon us, and as always, go Friars.